Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicle Companies and Markets Show. I am John Human, editor of the Investors Chronicle, joined today by Phil Oakley. How are you doing, Phil? I'm all right, thank you. Yeah? Yeah, I'm all right. You sure? Getting through. <laughs> <laughs> I know you said you're feeling a bit under the weather. Struggled in. I did. I'm here, all right. Here we go. Here I'm all right, yeah. I don't really want to talk about the markets at the moment because it all feels a bit weird. It all feels weird. And I think, what did you describe it as? Tina. Yeah, there is no alternative. So bonds are soaring, shares are soaring. Yeah, because the powers that be, the brain boxes that run the central banking and run the world of money just want to destroy money by what the looks of it. They want to you know, they want to make sure that saving savers pay to lend to borrowers. So what so what are we seeing that, that you know that makes you makes you think that? Well, we're seeing a, seeing a, you know, just a gradual. Um, it's been this has been going on for a long time, really, since since financial crisis. But but there, but there was last year as the US tightened a little bit. It yeah, all perhaps we're getting back to normalities. Yeah, normality now. So, but but we we seem to be reversing again. Yeah, I mean Japan. You've got places like Japan, Switzerland, and a lot of Europe now that you have to essentially pay. To lend money to the government. And yeah, you've got a great chart here from a guy called Charlie Bilello. I don't yeah. know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but but you what you've got here is the the uh negative the negative bond yield matrix. Yeah, this is this he's what does a, this tell us? He's a great, great guy that I follow on Twitter and he's he's produced this. I actually pinched something of his on Twitter. It, it sits in the middle of my desktop screen at work, which is uh fifteen rules of investing. Yeah, he's he's really good, really good. Comes out with some really intelligent, thought-provoking stuff. And he's just produced this matrix of um, of government bonds and various maturities from six months to 30 years. And it's like the tide coming in. It's got this sea of red, which means that the, the yields on these bonds are negative. And... Um, so, I mean, short, short, short dated bonds. Yeah, and long, and long dated. If you look at the 10-year 10 10 year now, we've got... Eight countries now, which are are zero or negative on ten years. On ten years, Switzerland is thirty year negative now. Why is that? Why is that? There's lots of reasons for it. I mean, Switzerland historically has, um, because the Swiss franc has been seen as a safe haven for for people, they've wanted to stop their currency appreciating, and so they've cut. They, they've historically cut interest rates to make it less attractive. So they want to stop their currency dark money there. They want to stop their currency appreciating because obviously that would have a massively negative impact on their exporting businesses. Yeah, I mean, there's there's two things at play here. There's there's generally sort of cutting interest rates to try and stimulate the economy, and you know, they've done this with printing up money and buying government bonds, and they've been pushing the interest rates down. And then there's also by pushing the interest rate down, you make your currency less attractive. And it falls in value, and it makes your exports cheaper on the market. So you've got two things at play here, and um, I don't want to get too political about this. But Donald Trump's getting a bit grumpy about a lot of this, and you're going to hear hear a lot more about this over the next few weeks. But what it's doing that's relevant for our listeners is that if people can't get a return on on bonds, um, it's pushing the stock markets up. Because this is where there is a return, even though that yield, as you look at it, 
I mean, I look at the whole world financial. They're all. It's all about interest rates, really. What you what do you get for your money? So I I buy a, a share, a bond. What do you get back in terms of profits as a percentage or an interest rate? And those interest rates are going lower as prices are going higher. So they're becoming more expensive, and we just have this this low interest rate environment, which is leading to a rally in pretty much financial assets worldwide. It's been going on for 10 years. It's now getting quite extreme that the what was zero has gone a little bit negative. It's now going even more negative. Yeah, so you might have heard the expression ZERP. Zero interest yeah. rate policies. We're into NERP territory. Yeah, and then you have then you have the you know the head of the European Central Bank, Mr. Draghi. Um, you know, people people love to interpret what central bankers um, say. I don't. I think they are vastly overrated individuals who have far too much importance. Um, but the eurozone, this thing hasn't worked for the eurozone. You know, cutting interest rates, having negative interest rates in mo- most of the eurozone, and you can see it on that chart. You you certainly can, right? The listeners can't, but it's there. Well, they can see it in your alpha. Report, they can, if which will be out. Yes, if they tomorrow subscribe. morning. Yep. Um, it's not doing any good. You know, it's you know the eurozone is is struggling, but the the answer seems to be, in as far as they can see, more of it. So that, so they'll go more negative. So so the US was the exception to this. It still, are, is, it still is the and exception. It, I mean, you know, so, so, you know, let's look at the 10-year. The US is 2.03%. Yeah, two, 2.1, between 2 and 2.1. What's going on? What's going, sorry, I'm just looking at the anomaly in that, that column. Italy. Yeah, so Italy, they are the outlier here. But, um, even, but, that, but that's because they're so weak, isn't it? Yeah, but even short-term, if you look at short-term lending to the, the Italian government over six months, you, you have to pay them. Yeah, it's it's really strange because Italy is not in a good place. No, it's not, and and it, and it seems strange to me looking at that ten year that you know you pretty much get the same yield on a on a at a ten year Italian government bond as you do on a a ten year US Treasury. Pretty pretty much identical, yeah. And I would say the US is pretty a stronger economy. Yeah, so you you know you which which government do you have more faith in to to pay you back? I think we shall leave that question unanswered. Um, <laughs> It raises a lot of very serious issues that, you know, the stock market loves this. The stock market loves it. You know, the lower that rates go, people say, oh, you know, you've, you've got to go into shares. But I I, I, I almost feel like there's, uh, we're getting very complacent now you know, in terms of the crowd. It seems to me that people think that the central banks cutting interest rates, just a free lunch for the stock market. And history would suggest that they are right. but. After 10 years or so of all this going on, don't people need to take a step back and say, look, what's, why are they doing it? They're doing this because they think the economy is weak. So what does this mean for company profits? And one thing is pretty much certain is if company profits start falling on the back of a weak economy, then you know share prices, I, I think, you know, to think that share prices can keep going up with that backdrop is probably... Not right. Would you just not get rating expansion instead? Okay, so the profits weren't what we expect, but Tina, there is no yeah, alternative. Might, yeah, but that's exactly what stocks should just be more expensive. This is exactly what we've had. This is and, and this is what we've had for the last ten, eleven years. You've had 
yes, you've had the the economy, you've had profits go down, and you've had the bear market, and the, which bottomed out in March two thousand and nine, and then you've had a huge rally since then, and it's continued this year where share prices are continuing to increase faster than company profits. So a dollar of profits or a pound of profits, people are paying more for them because at least they get something. I mean, we, we, we talked about this earlier today. So we judge the value or we, we value companies on as a, as a very sort of rough rule of thumb, a PE ratio. Yeah. Or even better, a forward PE, PE ratio. Yeah. And what we were talking about earlier is that, that this is perhaps even the wrong way of looking at it. Yeah. You should look at, uh, uh, reverse the whole thing and look at it as though it were an interest rate. Yeah. So look. So at explain it. that. Explain that. To yeah. You so you just look at it. It doesn't get you know the PE ratio. So the the share price divided by the earnings per share or the profits per share is what you see all the time. You know, we talk about it. Other people talk and write about it. But actually, if you want it to be more meaningful, you should turn it the other way around. You should look at the earnings per share or cash flow per share, divided by what you have to pay to get an interest rate. And when you say meaningful, you mean meaningful in the sense of the returns you can expect as an investor. Yeah, so I, so I look at it and say, okay, if I'm buying something for a pound and I get 10 pence of profit, I'm getting a 10% interest rate. If I put my money in the bank, I'm getting one. So there's something that's paying me 10% might be worth buying. And And... and Kind of this, this kind of, it doesn't matter so much when there is lots of growth, which is the other thing I think we were discussing. And I guess the big question now is that that growth is now a big question mark. Yeah, I mean, the prices are so high. So the interest rate, just as the interest rate on bonds and savings accounts has come down and gone negative, the interest rate on shares has come down as well because people have piled into shares because that's where they could get a higher rate of interest. And by doing it, they've pushed up the price and the interest rate has come down. And, and, and the other thing we, we talked about earlier is that this has kind of removed a very important thing about equity markets from the equation, which is the premium that you should be paid as, as an investor for taking on equity risk. Yes. You know, and this is a big debate about how big that gap should be. But what's what the issue is here, and there still is a premium, you know, equities still yield more than bonds, but they need profits to keep on growing from where we are now to make to perhaps make that worthwhile. Are, are we seeing signs then that, that there is an actual profit slowdown that that is happening that that should make us be thinking twice about about. The, the the kind of balance that that the uh, sort of markets are in at the moment. I think you're seeing it in some areas, some areas of the economy. Uh, you, you're not seeing it in things like tech and healthcare. Those those com- company profits there are still looking pretty good. Where you are seeing a lot of weaknesses in places like we talked about cars last week. Saw a big profit warning from Lufthansa last weekend in. The European airlines, um, that just looks like a bloodbath, and that's taken EasyJet uh, and Ryanair down with it. And then this week we saw pretty, pretty soft set of results from Whitbread on on the hotels front as well. 
which was, in fact, theirs was weaker than the market as a whole. And you've talked about that in your yeah, report this week. Both of the EasyJet and, and Whitbread. So some, some, of the, some of these are industry-specific as well, where you've got too much capacity chasing too little demand. But I think, I think it's also a sign that there, are, there is some underlying weakness in key, key sort of everyday areas of the economy. Are they... Are they- I mean, these are cyclical industries. I mean, airlines notoriously cyclical. Yeah. Um, hotels. I don't know. It's hotels. Yeah, business demand ish. Yeah. yeah. There is the cyclicality in there. So, so are we? Are we? Can we look at these as perhaps canaries in the coal mine, leading indicators of 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 this malaise spreading throughout other sectors? To an extent, yes. But you, you caveat you caveat it with industry issues as well. I mean, we talked a lot about the changing car industry. Um, last week, but effectively you've got weakness because supply is greater than demand. I mean, tech, tech is an interesting one. You mentioned that you know the profits there are holding up. Yeah, I find tech a fascinating industry. Um, it's the it's the subject of the uh, cover feature and the secondary feature this week uh, yeah. because you you know we're looking at the very biggest technology companies out there yeah. which have driven much of the performance of u.s markets definitely yeah i mean a huge amounts of the performance yeah. of u.s markets uh, quite terrifying yeah amounts, the price has but, but again this, that's been a classic example as what i would say is that the prices have been increasing much much faster than the profits on the expectation that these companies in years to come are going to start are going to pay investors huge amounts of profit they're going to make huge amounts of profits for their investors so it's like a down payment. You know, investors are putting big down payments and now it's down to the down to the uh the companies have got to deliver on that. Otherwise these share prices are not gonna stay high for long. Yeah, is it a down payment on perfection though? I mean they've got to, they've yeah, got to basically deliver Yeah, and it's become a momentum trade. Right? These things have become a momentum trade. People but they they buy in the people like the story. They, they they buy into the concept. They buy into the story that these are transformative technologies, transformative companies that are going to make lots of money in the future. And investors pile in, push up the price. That encourages more people to pile in, and it becomes a momentum a momentum story as well as a concept story. I mean, you can see why people buy into this concept, and it's something I touched on in my editorial. I mean, technology... Is all around us. You cannot escape it. It's everywhere. It it dominates our lives now. It does, but um, it... but the, the point I make in my editorial is that I I feel we've we've perhaps slipped into some very lazy thinking that because technology is everywhere, we should buy technology as as a, as, a, as an investor. Yeah, I think we're getting into very speculative territory now. We are getting away from looking at companies and their shares based on fundamentals like profits and cash flows and looking at what you actually get as an investor. And we're moving away to predicting, or you know, guessing basically on how much these companies are going to make. There is actually a fantastic quote in the, in the second feature uh, by Megan Boxall, formerly of this parish, who, who yes. now occasionally writes for freelance. Um, uh, it's a company called Compass, which is a real estate software group, but I'm not exactly sure what that means, um, which is planning to IPO in the US. It, it said in an interview to the Wall Street Journal uh, recently, 
which asked about the company's path to profits. It said, we're not yet at a stage where we have a very clear monetization strategy because we haven't really talked about it. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, the stock, but they expect the stock market to put, you know, millions, billion pound valuation on that business. Look, we, you know, we talked about Uber. You know, Uber comes out and says, oh, we don't know where, we don't know if we're going to make any money. I've never taken an Uber. Have you? T- no, no. Well, we're just old, Phil. I'm old and grumpy. I'll <laughs> never take a taxi if I can. No, me neither. But it's like... But they call it Shanks Pony. <laughs> but it's, um, you know, this is, this is what... This is where the risk is, in, is, is increasing. Now, this, this is like dot-com 20 years ago. Feels like it. In the... Doesn't, don't worry about profits. Just enjoy the ride. I was there. Right, you were there. Yeah, I was there. Yeah, and it's like people like me who sort of stand back and say, "Do you know what the implied profits are of this?" I don't care. It's going up, and that's fine. If you want to, if you want to ride that, then go ahead and ride it. You might make a lot of money, but it will end. It will end. They will. I don't know what will end it. Probably some sort of revenue warning because you can't have a profit warning on these things. Be a revenue warning or something like that, and people will then suddenly reappraise these things for what they are. But at the moment, it's like a drinks party that's in full flow. There's plenty of booze there. People are having a good time, and um, they don't really want to look at look at rational. But that's not well, investing. It's funny you, you know you're talking to you know a booze party. It's not, the, the the kind of central bank largesse is often referred to as the punch bowl. Yeah. And this is the punch bowl. And it just seems to me now that, you know, the the central banks of the world, particularly in America, feel that their their underlying underlying objective is to underwrite the stock market. And um it's it's treating investors very kindly at the moment, but the risks if you know if you if you look at a business investor Someone who's actually going to buy a business, and they're not going to make money by by somebody pushing the price up every day, but they're going to make money from the profit or looking to make money from the actual profits or the cash flows that a business is produces. I this is like a private market valuation. You will not get people buying these things privately for the kind of prices that are on the public stock market. It, it, it kind of goes back to the point you made last week on the podcast about the kind of looking at Halma, which is a great company and its valuation versus something like Ramsden's, yeah. which is a kind of bit of a, I apologise in advance, Ramsden's, a bit of a gotty company, but but which, you know, could deliver the cash flows that... It's you know, not glamorous. Prime, it's not glamorous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not gotty, I apologise. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, not as glamorous, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's that, it's that, and and you've you've outlined what we talked about in much more detail in in your column this week. I so have, yeah. Have a read of that because it's a very interesting way of looking at at relative valuations. And yeah, I'm uh, sure. Yeah, I'm sure that you know, I'm quite quite used to people saying that you know, I I'm too cautious and and that kind of thing. But this is what this is what it comes down to. This it's about. It's not just about making money. It's about playing, playing, playing your risks, managing your risks, and valuation does matter. And, and high high valuations are high expectations, regardless of all this backdrop of negative interest rates, uh, bond yields, and so on. 
um, fund managers who follow the approach have to have to stay invested. They can't go to cash, so they have to say, well, where else do I put my money? And it's worked very well for them so far. People who are listening to this podcast who are not fund managers don't have to do that. Well, so what should we do? You know, us, us uh, you know, private investors. I think there are, there are still some sensible, sensible places to put your money. Uh, I talk about that in my magazine feature this week. There are still some good businesses out there that I think are trading at reasonable valuations um, that perhaps warrant a bit more attention. Quality chuggers. Yeah, well, I mean, this is something we talked about on the podcast, what, two or three weeks ago. We mentioned, you know, companies like Hollywood Bowl, Britvic, um, Relex, I still think looks reasonable. Mm. reasonable. Cineworld. Cineworld's an interesting one. Big bets they've taken. Big bets. international expansion. Big bet, yeah. I mean, you, that, but that's, that's probably an outlier. But then you've got other companies. I mean, even, even Unilever... Although we have some worries about them. We have some worries about Unilever, and maybe that's re- reflected in, in the valuation. Avon Rubber. Yeah. Mil- milking machines and gas masks. Yeah. Very good business. <laughs> I'm not sure what trends that's tapping into. Well, it's um, def- like- defence spending. Defence spending, yeah. Yeah, defence spending, very niche not a lot of competition there. So, yeah, there are stocks out there that still look still look reasonable but, yeah, you, but the you know the fish in the pond are getting fewer shall we say you mentioned gold in your uh, i won't call it a rant phil cuz uh, i know you don't rant i do you, i do rant. you don't rant do. you, uh, it's not it's not ranting in the ill-informed uh, emotional ranting sense of the word rant yeah. but but it but it's certainly a uh, uh, a critique of what's happening in central banks, but you you mentioned gold, uh, something that could be a big beneficiary of of what we're seeing in. Uh... Yeah, I don't generally like gold. I like income in, income producing investments, and I think gold has actually been pretty lousy investment over the long run. It's sort of kept pace there or thereabouts with inflation, but it hasn't been a bad investment. But it's but it's very 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 volatile, more volatile than the stock market actually. It will test your test your patience, but if we are moving to this more negative interest rates, then your foregone alternative, i.e., holding cash, is doesn't look very attractive. And if central bankers of the world want to destroy the incentive for people to hold cash by making them pay for it. I would not be surprised if people just say, well, I'm not going to do that. I, I'm going to buy something else instead as a store of value, and they may buy gold. I don't know what period uh, I'm talking about, because I saw it mentioned this morning that gold is certainly certainly pushing recent heights. Yeah, it is. There are people thinking this. Yeah, I mean, if you look at if you looked at when gold had its last big push, what, talking from memory here, what, 2010, 11? It was a while back. Similar backdrop in mm. terms of interest rates and that and and that kind of thing. Um, I guess, but I guess at that point, you know, central bank firepower was was there to stimulate the economy in a which in a way which has subsequently suppressed the price of assets like gold. I'm not sure. I'm just not sure that firepower was there now. I don't think I, it's, it's, there is an expression known as pushing on a piece of string. Um, and it, it could well be that central bankers have, have reached that point, particularly particularly in Europe, where 
creating money out of fresh air and using it to buy bonds to push down interest rates and push it more and more negative probably isn't going to work. Yeah. It hasn't worked. Hasn't worked, really, and probably isn't going going to work. That said, there is a bit of wiggle room in the US, so uh, I guess yeah. all eyes will be over there. And, of course, the president wants lower interest rates. Why? Just to stimulate the economy. To stimulate the economy because the economy is the key to his re-election. Mm. You have to remember, right? We're straying into politics. We, never, we no, always no, promise no. we'll never do that. No, no, but, but let's, let's just touch on this. Trump, right? He's, you have to remember, he's a property guy. He's a real estate guy. He likes debt, right? He likes debt, so he wants, he wants low interest rates on debt. That's why he was whinging so much at Jerome Powell to cut rates. So he's running, running the US economy as though he were building a hotel. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> well, he is. Maybe it'll work. Look at Who the, knows? Look at the tax cut. Yeah. The American, the American budget deficit is surging. These are very interesting times. I just think that the stock market is very short-termist, quite complacent, thinking that low interest rates will be married up with stable or rising profits in general. That might not be the case. Should we we, um, talk about a company? Yeah. Um, Let's talk about a company that actually has some exposure to the US, which which is... One of the world's better performing economies at the yeah. moment, uh, as evidenced by its 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 interest rates, which is Ashton. Yeah. So this is a UK listed company, rents out construction equipment amongst other bits and bobs, but mostly construction yeah, equipment. Mostly in America. And it's doing really well. Doing brilliantly. Um I wrote a feature in the magazine about this sort of last autumn. It is one of the best companies in terms of what I say what I say in the, in the article is that you know imagine you had a savings account that pays 16% interest and you can just keep plowing loads of money into that account every year earning that kind of rate of interest and or more that's essentially what ashted's been doing for the last 10 11 years and doing it in america it has been investing heavily um in the american construction market been buying up other rental companies this market's very fragmented still and it's just plowed loads of money into it and it's earned incredible rates of profit on it so so i guess the equivalent figure the 16 percent you're talking about is what what the companies would reveal as its return on capital employed what i've calculated what you've calculated yeah. but that's going to be there or thereabouts there or thereabouts yeah so it's um, essentially the profits they're getting as a percentage of the money they've invested, it's their interest rate. It's their interest rate on their savings. They've been investing huge amounts of money at high rates of return, and the profits and the cash flows of this business have gone through the roof. I think 2007, this company was making, if you look at the cash generation of the business, and this is a really good business because they give you a figure that they need to replace the fleet. They, they, these fleets of uh, platforms and that kind of thing, mobile equipment, they own them for about seven years and then they sell them. And over that seven years, they try and keep them busy about 70% of the year. You get bits of weather and seasonality that leads a bit of down to them. You keep them busy and you make sure that you are sensible with your pricing. That adds up to very nice profits when you've got 
a growing market like the US construction market has been doing. And what's what's driven that? I mean, let's go roll back yeah. from from you know what what Ashton's model is yeah. and how 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 well managed it is. But what's driven US construction? What's happening there? Is it? I mean, generally, you've had an expanding economy, which leads to more building anyway. We've got a lot of tired infrastructure as well right? in America. There's a lot of catch-up spend, um, which is why some people think that the levels of activity in America, construction, whilst they might not keep growing a lot, they're not expected to go down. Um, construction activity is still below the last peak and is expected to you know, be re- relatively stable from where we are now. So there's lots of work to do, lots of construction work to do. So this is public infrastructure. Presumably it, it gets involved in, in Every, know, commercial infrastructure as yeah, well, housing. Infrastructure. Uh, everything. Yeah, utilities, that kind of thing. Anything that involves building concrete, that kind of stuff. Like big walls again. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that shall not be mentioned. Yeah. And, you know, over the last 12 years, Ashton has gone from making about 80 million of underlying cash to 1.4 billion last year. It's extraordinary. Yeah, absolutely extraordinary. And it's been growing in America at about 15, 20%. And it's expected to keep on growing this year at 15, 20%. Why is it even listed here? Um, we'll get on to that in a minute. <laughs> and it, it, it is, it's got debt. Debt's reasonably high, not too uncomfortably high, but it's getting it's getting there. But the business is in is in very good shape, and it should have another good year this year. But the problem you've got is that eventually this will turn down, and, and that makes valuing a business like this quite tricky. And you are already seeing some pressure on operating margins, which are projected to continue. You're seeing not in America, you're not, but but across the group. Yeah, in the UK you are a bit, um, but the American margin actually held up quite well. Um, but it's it's interesting that it'll have a good year this year. But what happens? What happens then? Because the the construction market is expected to moderate, and if you look at this company in more depth, there is actually the biggest player in this market. Uh, Ashdead has got business, and its business in America is called Sunbelt. And it's the second biggest player in the U.S. market. The biggest player is um, a company called United Rentals. And United Rentals, you look at the profit forecasts for United Rentals from sort of 2020, they're pretty modest. And Ashdeads are still pretty good. Now, whether Ashdead is going to grow by acquiring companies, which it has been doing, it's been bolting on companies, but there is there is actually a divergence in, in valuation. And as I said, this is a company that's very difficult to value because you know, despite how incredibly profit it is, one day it will turn down. And you can buy Ashdead shares for about 10 times earnings as we speak, but you can buy United Rentals shares for about six mm. with lower. Now, whether that's company specific, I haven't. Dug in, dug into you know. I don't have time this week to dig into United Rentals, but the outlook for the sort of United Rentals side of it is much more muted than uh, than Ashdead. But it's a wonderful company. It's really well run. Um, you know, if you had the sort of stability of earnings that people crave, this wouldn't trade on ten; it trade on thirty. But it's a cyclical. But it's a cyclical, yeah. 
So, but it's interesting how the market is valuing this company quite sensibly, despite how profit, profitable it is. Yet, companies like we talked about last week, uh, Halma, which is making similar kind of return on capital, is you know on three times the rating. An oasis of sanity in a crazy market. Shall we, uh, shall we move on to another uh, company you've mentioned this week, which also had results? By the way, the Ashton results are in the mag. We actually have them on a buy. So, yeah, uh, I can, that's all right. It's all right? Yeah. Should we talk about Telecom Plus? Yes. Funny little business. And this you were is... telling me some stories about this before we came in here, which, yeah, which I found quite amusing. Yeah, it's a business I know quite well. Go on, tell me why um, you know it well. Just for readers who don't know about this business, this is a company that um, trades under the brand called Utility Warehouse, and it sells... Gas and electricity, home telephone, broadband, mobile phone, um, home insurance, boiler cover now. I think I've said everything. It sells that mainly to households. And it has a very interesting business model that it doesn't advertise. It uses partners, quote unquote, or distributors. So somebody like you and me goes around, talks to their friends and says, Come and get your electricity and gas and from utility warehouse. And the more products you take from us, the more money you save, and I'll get a cut of it as well. And then you and you grow grow the business. So so, so in here, uh, customers are members uh, of a uh, club of a club. So, so you'd be so... members of a club, and you, and there are various benefits to the club. But essentially, the more products you take, the more discounts you get. Uh, but I can also as a Member of the club. If I get, if I recruit another member, you can then... become a distributor. Sounds like a cult. Yeah, well, well, I, <laughs> I, I got taken. I got taken along one morning to one of the um, one of the training meetings in some. I won't say where it was, but it was, it was, uh, it was an incredibly interesting meeting, and it was full of incredibly enthusiastic people. But the targets that the distributors are set are incredibly hard i have to say this i don't think there's anything dodgy about this company at all i uh, i know it's i know it's easy to come to this conclusion but it's it's a, it's a business model where they incentivize and there are people making very very good money by essentially being being an agent for the company um people who have you know se- you know serious serious income and they've got 40,000 people. They've got 40,000 people doing it, and they've got about 635,000 customers. And I think the minimum target is that each agent's got to have at least 12 customers, and some have got a lot more than that. And people who've been doing it for a long time, um, as I say, have built up quite good businesses. Now, this is a business that um, has, has moved along quite nicely. And maybe moving into a bit of a sweet spot. I've always been quite cynical about this because I've never thought, and I never, and I still maintain this view, that I can actually get my own broadband, and my own gas and electricity cheaper than I can through utility warehouse. I still maintain that, but you have to work quite hard to do it. And I can understand how people like the simplicity of one one bill per month with lots of different services utilities mm. on there every month and the other thing they've got is something they've got a, a cashback card which you um you have to load it up with cash which is a bit of a pain in the backside 
and you get 1% cash back on that. Or if you go to places like Sainsbury's or Asda, but you can get discounts of, say, 3 to 7% on what you spend, and that comes off your bill. And that, to me, is the main attraction of getting your utilities through Utility Warehouse. Now, this cashback card has just been relaunched. So it's now at 1% on everything you spend, whereas previously it used to be you had to spend at various places to do it. And the take-up of this this year has grown quite significantly. And the, and the savings on your bill, this is, this is the compelling reason to be a member of Utility Warehouse. That's looking a lot better. Also, I think that the electricity and gas market is beginning to change in their favour as well because you've had a lot of the big six have been losing customers hand over fist to these small new entrants. I've just switched to one myself. I, I've, I've switched, but I've switched to a big six because the big six now seem to be offering the best prices from what I can see. And there are lots of these smaller companies that are going bust because they've sacrificed profits for market share, whereas the big six have done exactly the opposite. Mm. And Utility Warehouse, get their they buy their power from NPower. And I think they're going to be more competitive now, which means that the customer churn rates um, in the gas and electricity part of Utility Warehouse are probably going to come down which means that you're not going to have to spend as much replacing those customers, which should help your profits. So this year is looking pretty good in terms of profitability. And they pay out most of their uh, profits as a dividend. Yeah, and the share price has been doing remarkably well as well. So Yeah, uh... my, my just view is where does, it, where does it go from here? How does, it, how does it keep on growing? I think it's going to have a good year this year. It's ramping up its home insurance it's going into boiler cover boiler installation but that's more of a customer retention rather than a source of profit but it's a it's a very interesting business that looks to be in a bit after having a few rocky years looks to be on the up again it's a market where i think customers are looking for some some kind of some kind of clarity some kind of disruptive uh benefit from someone this might this might fit the bill i think i think the problem with this is that people will immediately be suspicious of it they've not heard of it they probably think it's some kind of dodgy scheme and it, it's and a I, huge company yeah but people how many people you ask you go around how many people have heard of you heard of utility warehouse probably none a few will have not the man on the street maybe um, the readers of the investors some people but, uh... some people will sort of automatically will not like being approached by someone saying look I can save you a bit of money. It's, yeah. it's almost got the sort of doorstep seller about it, which, yeah, well, which puts people off. We, we, one of the times I actually changed the energy supply was because a doorstep seller from one of the big six came round. It's like, yeah. you know what? I might as well. Cause, uh, but but, but, so the whole market has a dodgy reputation. Has a dodgy reputation. And, but this, this company does not have a dodgy reputation. So it's, it's actually got a very, very good reputation. I think the way it makes a really good breakthrough is by just keep building the trust and building the strength of its brand, and it's doing that. And I think home insurance is going to be potentially a big, uh, big revenue stream for it. Another, you know, other potential um, products, uh, other insurance products. I'm sure car insurance might come mm. next. So yeah, it's a good, it's a it's a good business. It, it plays into that theme we've talked about that's happening in retail as well. People looking for just you know better value. 
Uh, it's simpli- they're selling simplicity. Simplicity, simplicity convenience. A lot of people don't want to be on these comparison sites. And the company has gone through a rocky time because of what's been happening in the in the energy market. And I think that's settling down now. And I think that's going to be very helpful to it. Yeah, it's interesting. You like them? Would you buy them? I'm not sure I'd buy them after, after what a run they've had. But um, the yield's what? About 3.7? Uh, trailing three and a half uh, at yeah. time of writing. Three, three point seven forward. Trailing PE thirty five, so pity punch. Yeah, it's paying out all its profits. Yeah, I think it's probably a a, a safe dividend income though. Mm, like it. All right. Well, there you go. So after not wanting to talk about markets, we talked about lots. So uh, thank you very much, Phil. Yeah. That was uh, enlightening as always. Let me just talk you through what else we've got in the magazine this week. The sector focus is looking at the commercial property industry uh, and in particular how retail landlords are battling with some, some really quite horrible trends there uh, as, uh, as retailers shut up shop, uh, even very large retailers. Algie Hall has gone hunting for Cash Magic Kings, which is a variation of the uh, famous Joel Greenblatt magic formula. As I've said, uh, both of our features are looking at technology this week. At all ends of the spectrum, uh, we're looking at why the unicorns are perhaps something we should avoid. We've taken a really sort of off-piece look at tech this week. Would you believe it? There are 80 companies in the US, in the tech sector alone, that are bigger than the smallest constituent of the FTSE 100. It is extraordinary. There is a FTSE 100 of technology in the US. And, you know, uh, it's, it's amazing. And, and because of that, so many of these companies we just don't know about. So Some of them are fantastically profitable as well. And that's what we've gone hunting for. So we've, we've applied some stock screen metrics yeah. to, to look at this stuff and, and, and really dig out. There are, um, there are ETFs as well that you can buy for these. I don't know whether... What's that? The... Uh, Unloved technology ETF. Not unloved. No, I know. I know. I know. There's an S and P 500 technology ETF. There probably is, but we're trying to strip out the fang yeah, yeah, side of stuff yeah. and, and really kind of. But at the bottom end of that, it's a value hunt. Yeah, it's a value hunt because there is so much energy focused on the very biggest tech that people don't really pay attention to some of the more mundane companies out there. Uh, and the usual comment and lots and lots of results this week and some interesting stuff in the news section, including a very long look at Kia, which goes from, from bad to worst. Thank you, Phil, and thank you all for listening. Pick up the magazine and all good news agents, Hidden Tech Gems, How to Profit from My Overlooked Technology Stocks, and they do exist. See you next week.